what you sow, you're going to reap today and the week of King Outlook. Let's get going. Well, greetings, folks. Apostle Lewis here. I'm hoping that you are having a wonderful new year. January 6th, great time. I'm a little late putting out this video this week. I've actually done two other videos, and I did not like them, so I kind of scratched them. I just didn't like the tone and, and the topic. Uh, wasn't really hitting where I want to hit. So I do this sometimes. I just don't like it. I won't put it out. Uh, I hope you're having a great new year. Had a wonderful uh, Christmas and New Year's uh, with my family and with church members had a wonderful time, uh, had an amazing dream the other night, um, just was woken up, uh, just, just, just a glorious dream. And I'm not going to share that in this one because I just shared it with someone who was involved in the dream. And, and I don't know if it's something I want to share publicly, totally out there. Um, I want to talk about uh, how, how we treat other people, how we sow and how we reap, how it affects. I'm going to give you a this really great story. My spiritual father, one of my spiritual fathers was Randy Leshner. And, you know, me and Randy had such a, an absolutely unique relationship in the fact that, make sure my mic is good here. Um, Jeremy will get really mad at me if, you know, the mic. Um, we had such a really wonderful relationship in the fact that we would just hang out late at night, like after a class when we did School of Prophets around we would hang out until one o'clock in the morning just, and he would, and I would sit there and just ask questions and he would tell me stories and, and we'd just talk about the kingdom. And, and there was this one night, uh, and several nights has happened on, and I wish I had them, you know, this is before the iPhone. So, you know, I wish that I tried to get him before he passed away to, to like sit down with me and let me capture some of these stories on video of him just telling the stories. So, cause he did better justice than I can. And I'm going to talk about that story in here and how I learned this from him years ago. Um, and it really hit it home to me um, and why I'm against these tribunals. I'm against what people do all the time, um, calling out everyone else's sins. Um, it's not a good thing to get into. And how I've learned this also from Bill Johnson. And Bill has been such a role model, such a spiritual father to me. You know, someone that I could actually learn from not just in ministry, but the way Bill carries himself with his children, his grandchildren, his wife, Benny, who's now with Jesus, the way he carries himself with leadership is just the way he carries himself and the way he just, just approaches things so well and, and consciously, intently he approaches them. And I, he's been such a joy. And Randy was the same way. We, we had, but Randy, my relationship with Randy was very, different in the way that because I served with him as he traveled and, and I taught the schools with him, we would talk hours and hours about the kingdom. And so I want to share some of that story with you. And there's several of them. And I might do a couple weeks of these, but we're going to talk with this one right here. Chapter 7 of Matthew, and I want you to hear this. We're going to read it out of the Amplified. Here we go. Do not judge or criticize or condemn others so that you may not be judged criticized or condemned, condemned yourselves. In other words, what did you say? Hey, if you don't want to be there, don't do it. Because what you sow, you reap. 
There are situations we have to judge situations. Jesus isn't telling us. Jesus is not telling us not to judge. Okay? Because we have to judge. We're As leaders, we are required to judge. We're not to judge people. We're not supposed to condemn people. We're not supposed to criticize people. And we certainly don't put down the final judgment on people. He's worthless. Okay? Um, when I'm counseling with people a lot of times, I'm telling them that they're valuable. Because when you forget who they are, you forget who you're speaking to. And regardless who I'm speaking to, they're in the image of God. And if they're a brethren, they're a son of God. And, and you have to be careful how you're dealing with that because God's watching. All right. For just as you judge, criticize, and condemn others, you will be judged, criticized, and condemned. And in accordance with the measure you use to deal out to others, it will be dealt out to you again. Again to you. Now, we just have to understand, we think like this is something strange. You see, Jesus is teaching us not to judge. No, it's not totally what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching, remember, whatever you sow in relationship to someone else, you're going to reap it back. So don't do it. Like if you sow the kingdom, sow righteousness, sow love, don't sow hatred, don't sow condemnation, don't sow criticizing, sow love. Okay, because that's what you want back. Why do you? Now, this is the thing I want to get into Randy's story he told me. Why do you stare from, from without at the very small particle that is in your brother's eye, but do not become aware of and consider the beam of timber that is in your own eye? I love that, you know. You hypocrite, first get the beam of timber out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the tiny particle out of your brother's eye. Okay, now, that's all we're going to read right there. All right, now, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to tell you this, why I, the tribunal and all that stuff was so ungodly. It was so ungodly. And some of the people that were involved were not behaving wisely. And I could expose all of it. I, I've got a hard drive over there with, I want you to know i got a hard drive over there with stuff on it. I won't even have it on my computer. I just refuse to have it on my computer. It's that bad. I don't want to be traveling to some country and they open up my computer and say, what is all this? Let me have to explain. The Bible gives us the right way to confront our brother. Matthew 11. If I see my brother overcome and rebuke him, my brother sins against me, rebuke him. If my brother repents... I've won my brother. And it stays there. If he doesn't, it escalates. If he still doesn't before, before several witnesses, then you bring it before the church. If he still doesn't repent, you kick him out. That's not what happened in the tribunal. In the tribunal, Todd was told right from the start, you will either confess to everything that you're accused of and leave the ministry forever, or we're going to investigate. That is not godly at all. That was so demonic. And ungodly, it wasn't even funny. And, and, and it was just wrong. And I told Todd, you can't agree to that. You cannot agree to that. Number one, my thing to Todd was, you're called of God. Now, you have to get right. Anywhere you, you're wrong, you're going to have to get right with God. And we dealt with that. What Todd confessed to, you can go to Todd's Facebook page, and, and you could see what he actually confessed to. And if you want to know what he did, he confessed to it. He didn't have any, you know, the sad thing is I don't want to minimize this, like, because it's still sin and I hate it, is that Todd and Jess, uh, you know, Todd lost his first marriage. And 
then he will tell you he slept with Jessa before they got married and sin, and then they got married. I will tell you all that is sin. And I hate every bit of that, but that's not why he lost his marriage. Okay. They had been in counseling for years. It just didn't work. There was, it takes two parties to resolve it. Todd will take most of the blame for that and say, look, I was so gung-ho about ministry, so gung-ho and thinking I had to work for everything. I had to keep going. Um, and that's part of the addiction of ministry um, that he didn't treat his family as a priority. And he'll readily admit that. He's, he has. To his credit and, and to his, to, to, I'm proud of the fact we have had these conversations. We, we have changed a lot in the way he runs his ministry today. We have changed a lot in the way we run his schedule today. We have changed a lot in a way um, that we allow people around him today. Um, because a lot of people just want to be around Todd for a platform. They want it. And by the way, some of those same people that were accusing Todd were people who wanted to be on the front row on every platform. They wanted to be there. They wanted to be the big dogs. Okay. And so, all right. Now that doesn't make what Todd did in the past, uh, right. Doesn't he's confessed to it. Um, sin is ugly. I don't like it. I'm not justifying at all. He's repented. I believe in God's forgiveness and I believe in God's restoration. And the reason I don't ever want to, um, like I won't use names, um, but I'm not going to say that it was just a wonderful process. The tribunal is just a, is, is an ungodly process. There's a thing you have to understand. Not everything that the Jews did was godly. Even the fair, like a lot of things the Pharisees doing was actually against the law. They had added a hundred laws against women. Okay, that's why you hear about the Talmud and not the uh, Torah or the Tanakh. The Tanakh, I think, is the prophets and all that. The, ta- the Torah is the uh, first five books of the Bible, but the Talmud is rabbinical writings. And it would be like me telling you, hey, rebuild John. Nehemiah Gordon, who is a uh, fantastic um, um, historical document, contextual guy, like he, he looks at the actual historical you know, scripts that we have for the Bible. He actually found the name of God in one of the scripts in Exodus 3, Yehovah. And, but let me just give you like, how many people told you, you can't say God's name. And it's actually not true. That's actually, I, I don't want to take away his thunder. Go to Nehemiah without an H, Nehemiah without an H, Nehemiahswall.com and, you know, look at his stuff. He's got some great stuff. He's not a Christian. So I don't agree with everything he says because he doesn't believe in Christ. But when it comes to historical documents and accuracy and all that, I like listening to him because that's his job. And he says, that's my field. My field is not a theologian. My field is to study what the actual documents, are they authentic? How do they get that? How do they write them? And he's a, I think they call it a contextual expert, whatever they call it, but he's pretty good. Okay. Uh, he's, he's really good at what he does there. And I, and I appreciate that. I, I'm willing to learn from that. Um, but <clears throat> like Rosh Hashanah, is not biblical. It's actually a pagan holiday uh, that is in Ezekiel chapter 8, and it was the worship of Tammuz uh, and his resurrection. And I don't have time to get into that, but that is why the Jews call it their agriculture. It was agriculture, yeah, because it was in Babylon. And a lot of things came out of Babylon, got mixed into it. By the time they get into Jesus' day, it's not the law. You understand, if Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees, it's because they went away from the law, not the Spirit of God only, 
but the law. Jesus would never have rebuked them for doing what the law says and obeying the law. He would never, because the law is holy. It's just. It was from God. It was God. Like, you go, well, no, it wasn't God. No, it was God. Was God. It was literally, it literally was God's thoughts on stuff. God, like homosexuality, God's not changing his mind. Fornication, God's not changing his mind. Adultery, God's not changing his mind. It's not changing his mind on these things. Okay? It's not changing his mind. Like, I believe the law is still good. I'm not righteous from it, but it does give me instruction in righteousness. So I think the law is good. I don't believe the law. I'm not, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. But if there's no law, then I'm lawlessness. Okay? If you think Jesus was saying something new when he said these two commandments sum up all the law, they were actually in the law. Those two statements he makes, to love the Lord thy God and love your neighbor self, are actually in the law. So Jesus was actually quoting, not making up something new. Okay? All right. So, <clears throat> Randy told me this story. and This goes way back when his daughter had to be like five or six or something like that, young. And he was ministering out in Wyoming. And in Wyoming, he also had traveled with another minister. They would travel. And then this minister fell. And I don't, by the way, I still to this day don't know how he fell. Okay, because Randy never told me. It wasn't, this guy wasn't really the topic of the story. Randy was. And, and so, but Randy, every time he was asked, well, what happened to the guy? He would sit there and say, oh, he did this. And of course, he was being honest, but it's none of your business why people fall. I, I got news for you. The church is so, <clears throat> the church thinks it has a right to information, and it actually doesn't. I want you to think, if you think that if a leader falls, you have a right to all the information, how would you feel if in counseling session you confessed your sins to the counselor, to your pastor, and then he went before the church and made them public to be transparent? Now, here's what I want to tell you. Um, that's wrong. One of the things I found out in the 2019 thing was a lot of pastors were gossiping about private counseling sessions. And it was gross to me. And when those people found out that their story, their private story of their sin was now in the mix, they were horrified that I spoke that in a counseling session. You mean he told other people? And it was that sad all around. Okay. Okay, so let's get back to the story. So Randy is driving. He's got this RV, him and his wife and daughter. And he was preaching, and he just kept having this fever for like three days. So they were driving to town. It was like going to be two hours to the hospital, and he couldn't take it anymore. And he was in such pain, he had his wife call uh, 911, call it for an ambulance. They actually life-flighted him to the hospital. So she got in the RV and started driving. Then they got an accident, her and her daughter. Now he's sitting there in, in, the ice, in, the, in the emergency room, and here comes his wife and daughter in the ambulance. So they were okay, thank God. And, um, but they discover Randy has an amoeba in his kidneys, ate, drank something that was unclean, you know, whatever, and um, it got into his kidneys, and he's going to die. They tell him, you're going to die. There's nothing we can do about this. It's in there. It's going to eventually kill you. And 
Randy is like, you know, oh my God. And he's, so he starts praying, you know, and he believes healing. He had a healing ministry. He starts praying. And he says a couple days go by and he's been in pain and agony sitting in this hospital. And Jesus walked into his hospital room. And he sees Jesus. Not like he's dreaming it. He sees Jesus walk in, come into his room. And he goes, oh, Jesus, you're here to heal me. And Jesus says, no, I'm not. And when he says that, listen, when he said that, this man's sin that he had exposed, this man whose sin he had exposed to everybody came before his face. And the Lord said this to him. You are supposed to be covering your brother's sin and exposing your own, confessing your own. Instead, you were exposing your brother and hiding your own sin. See, brethren, let me, let me tell you, church, the church has got to stop thinking it's spiritual to expose people. It's spiritual to embarrass and be critical. It's spiritual to uh, condemn people. It's spiritual. Do you, do you, do you know that Todd, to tell Todd, listen, Todd was told you can't ever be in ministry again. Let me tell you the level of arrogance and pride of heart that you actually get to tell God his servant can never be in ministry again. I want you to think about that for a second. Because God's the one who calls. We always say the calling and gifting of God is without repentance. The anointing is not. And so the one thing I told Todd was, you get into prayer until God touches you again. He would go, I'm quit. I said, Todd, you can't quit, dude. He goes, why? I said, because, because God's called you. It's not yours to quit. We're called. We're ministers called by the grace of God. We, quitting is not an option. By the way, go listen to Chris Valentin. He's got on his Instagram page when he talks about the cardinal because he just went through this this year. You can't quit. You don't understand. If you're really called and you can quit, you might not have been called. I cannot quit what I do. I am called to do what I do. It's, 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 an, it's, it's. People go, you get your identity from that. Well, in a way you do because you don't have an option. I can't go back to air traffic control. I don't want, I'm, I am doing what God has from the beginning of time predestined for me, purposed for me in my life to do. And I don't have an option because the option is obey or disobey. That's not an option. <laughs> the option is obey him with all my heart. Okay. And I never forget Randy telling me this, that now the next thing that happens is the next day, his friend who had his own plane, little plane who used to fly to places, decided to land in the town Randy was at the hospital and he comes in to see Randy. And when Randy sees him, he weeps and he says to him, will you please forgive me? And he says, I couldn't understand why you were doing that. I just couldn't understand why you were just coming after me that way. And Randy asked him to forgive him, and he did. And Randy said, would you please pray for me? And he did. And he was healed. Instantly. See, folks, what we sow, we're going to reap. What we do to others is going to come back and get us. You might not be now. Look, it might not be in this lifetime. It might not be to us. It could be to our children. Look, when Isaiah comes and rebukes Hezekiah for what he does, the judgment 
isn't upon him. The judgment's upon his children forever and ever. Isn't that sad? Is that really sad to you? Because it's sad to me. That now Hezekiah is one of those great individuals of Scripture, and and we're not being critical as we're talking about it. We're trying to learn from the errors of others so <clears throat> that we don't go down this road and unfortunately make the same stupid mistakes that um, that others made. Right? That, uh, and we don't want to go in there and if we don't learn from scripture, I, I don't like I, I don't need to run my car into a tree to know that a tree is bad for a car. Like I can learn from other people, and I, I, that's part of the purpose of why the Lord. Um, so let's read this. Um, um, you know, Hezekiah gets. Um, this wonderful reformation where God does remarkable restoration to things under Hezekiah, the tithe, the worship. It's, it's um, um, wonderful to see, okay, what God does. And he does some... Um, He does some some of the most remarkable restoration things in giving and worship in the temple. But Hezekiah makes this mistake where he then um, it's in Second Kings chapter twenty, so let's turn there. He he makes this mistake, and you're gonna read it, but it's not his mistake. It's actually his response that's quite annoying. Men come from Babylon, and when they come, Hezekiah decides to show them everything that God has given him, the temple, wealth, everything. Because there's, you gotta remember, the temple's made of gold. Um, everything inside of it's pretty much of gold, overlaid with gold or bronze. There's utensils. And all this stuff is going to get carried away, but this is what happens. Uh, now, after these men leave, then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came from the far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. So not wise. Like, if you want to get people jealous, like you don't let everyone in your house. Let me explain something to you. You don't let everyone in your house. You don't show them where everything's at in your house. You know, when we have people over here, there are rooms that people are not allowed in. The bedrooms, number one, not allowed in there. You don't show everybody your house. You don't do that, okay? You only, you only might bring close people in and go, hey, we just built this house, come in. This is our bedroom, this is our bedroom. I don't take everyone on a tour of the house, okay? Now listen to what he says. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day, 
shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. Now, that's bad enough. Listen to Hezekiah. And they shall take away some of your sons and will descend from you, who descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah says to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, Will there not be peace and truth, at least in my days? See, sometimes our, it's, it's such a gross statement by Hezekiah here. You might think, well, he's just trusting the Lord. Where's the repentance? Oh, Lord, forgive me. I've done foolishly. God has already given him 15 plus years. Wouldn't this have been great if he just repented here? You know what? You know why he doesn't repent? It's not me. It's just my kids. Some of the things that you sow now, listen to me, your kids will have to live in. Your God is not mocked. What a man soweth, that he reaps. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. I remember Randy telling me this story. It's like 2000, 2001. We're in Orlando. And we go to Una's Pizzeria. After the class, which got done around 10, 30, 11, we go there because they were only ones open to like one. And we'd always order like the same things. We'd order a Caesar salad and a shrimp cocktail. Like we each ordered. That's what we ate every time because it was quick food before they closed up the bar. But we would, because the bar was open till like one, two o'clock and we were staying in the hotel next door. Um, we'd sit there and just talk and he would tell me these stories and I, we just get so caught up in the Spirit of God. And this was such a great story because um, it's so easy to want to point out your brother's sin in an argument. It's so easy to want to expose. Um, but, but the key to greatness is taking personal responsibility. And the, the key to great leadership is taking corporate responsibility. Like... It, it's, it's one of the keys of freedom. I, I love taking responsibility because if I'm responsible, I can fix it. If I'm not responsible, then it's at the hand of someone else and I can't fix it. But I like having, you know, I can't take responsible for the earth warming. I'm not going to worry about that. Um, but I will take responsibility for my marriage. I'll take responsibility for my kids. I'll take responsibility for my house. I'll take responsibility for my church. And doesn't mean that I am at fault in everything, but I am responsible. Here's what I tell people. Like, well, I was, you know, blah, 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 blah happened to me when I was 15 years old. I go, okay, it's not your fault, but you got to take responsibility. They go, well, what do you mean take responsibility? You're going to be responsible for guarding your heart from here and out and getting whole in Christ. Like, you're going to take responsibility for it. Doesn't mean you're doing it alone. You're going to do it with Christ or with good, good friendships and love. But if you are unwilling to take responsibility for your future, then you're always going to be tormented from your past. Okay? You have to take personal responsibility for your future. It doesn't mean you are the maker of your own destiny. Don't mean, doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean Christ is going, well, if you're taking... Christ doesn't want us to sit there and go, I'm not responsible for anything. That's not nowhere in the scripture. Okay? Every sin I committed, I'm responsible for. It was no one else's fault. We go, well, you know, your father, your mother. No, no, no. What they did was wrong, but I'm still responsible for me. And if I'm, if I'm the one who sinned, then the, the, the fix is easy. 
I just go to Christ and ask Him to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's easy. But if I'm not responsible, there's nothing I can do but be a victim. And I don't like being a victim. I'm, I'm not really happy with victimhood. So I remember Randy telling me this story and us just weeping. Now, he did a lot better. That's why I wanted him to get it because he gave more details in it. And Randy was such a great storyteller. And, you know, I walked with Randy through false accusations and, and um, the pain of false accusations. That's why I knew what Todd was going through. I knew the, 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 the you know, it's, it's one thing if someone actually points out your sins, but if someone magnifies those with lies and, and deceit, and, there's, and, and no one's actually interested in the truth, by the way, because you notice that nothing ever came out that Todd actually did those things that he was accused of. Never came out. He didn't actually do it. They, they never point out, yes, we, we know this. Even, even the, look, I've got it on audio where one of the people in charge was actually saying he was threatening people with their own sin if they didn't say what he wanted. I've got it on audio. That's how bad that is. That's not godly. Let's not do a tribunal again. Here, here's what I want to tell you about. If your brother sins, now what do you do if a leader is sending? Like, let's say, let's say, um, my leader is having an affair. Now, what do you do? Because that's a real sticky one, right? Well, I want to know if I have what, what your evidence is. I want to know. It's going to depend on the relationship with your leader. Um, the Bible actually says to have two or three, you're supposed to have at least two witnesses to an act to bring an accusation against a leader. So it's not supposed to be just one. So it's actually be two witnesses have to, not two people who say two different acts. Two people who say, yes, I saw him. Um, and by the way, no one had that on Todd. Oh, they wanted you believe that because they feel that that happened, that it must happen. That's not a witness. They were, they were angry. And they were, they, they, their heart had gotten really, really clouded in their anger. Okay, and I'm not saying Todd's innocent in that. He'll tell you what, you know, what he did. He's already confessed to it. He's gone. By, by the way, let me give you an update on Todd. I'm watching Todd and Jessa walk through the amazing grace of God. They're healing. Their love for each other is immense. Their love for the Lord is immense. The anointing is certainly back in Todd's ministry, and that's going to tick off some people. But let me ask you something. If the anointing, if God's spirit is upon him again, what's your, what's your beef? I'll tell you what the beef is for some people. I don't have that kind of anointing, and I walk holy. Well, the problem is, is that you think you actually do, and you don't. And the other problem is, is that it's not according to Todd's own righteousness. God has chosen Todd for some pretty spectacular signs and wonders kind of thing. But also, the thing I've known about being Todd's friend, you know, close friend, really these last four years, or three years, I guess it's been, uh, well, 2017, 18, 19, 20, I, 20, 2020, let's skip that year because that was like Groundhog Day. Uh, I don't even know really get credit for 2020. Uh, but for four or five years, we've been close, and, and him, me and my wife, and him and his wife, Jessa, we've been counseling, we've been loving him, stepping, stepping in the way of some of the arrows. But... The thing I know about Todd is his obedience in the spirit is crazy. Like, like if God shows him something in the spirit, 
Todd is so gun ho. Like, and I've watched it. I've watched him know that the, you know, his boldness to pray for the sick and to do stuff is so precious and beautiful. And his faith level in that is enormous. And I know people who know doctrine really well, who, who uh, think they're all, they don't have that boldness. They don't have that authority. They don't have that command in the spirit. The, and, and the reason is, is because I think sometimes in our knowledge, our knowledge puffs up and thinks that, you know, well, then I've kind of, we don't say this, but I've kind of earned it because look how knowledgeable I am. Look, I know, I know the truth and therefore that should anoint me. But really it's Todd's humility. Uh, now, I'll, I'll tell you, one of the things that we have changed in it was you get burned out. When you get burned out, you get away from that. So we're going to protect you. Because you obviously haven't shown the level of, hey, don't do that, right? Because he gets pulled in, you know, he starts building the machine, I call it, the staff and everything. And you have to go to work just for them. And so we don't do that. We have very few little payroll on his staff. And the reason for that is so that Todd isn't, uh, um, doesn't have to keep, this idea that we have to keep going 24-7 is just stupid. We're going to break down. When we do those things, it's gonna, we've got to learn how to take care of our body, soul, and spirit. And we need to manage our marriages properly. And, and I'm a guy who ran for three years on my days off when I was an air traffic controller. And I probably was working 110 hours. But when the Lord told me to stop, literally, it was on a, uh, on a, uh, a Sunday afternoon. I think it was March 23rd or March 5th or somewhere in there. I have to look back at the count. But it was March. I know it was March. And the Lord told me on this day, March 22nd will be your last Sunday, or May 22nd will be your last Sunday coming up here, and I want you to go back to be home in Jacksonville on your days off. And I literally announced it right then because I learned that the grace on my life for what I was doing was immense, and if I went past that for an inch, I would be doing it totally in my own strength and wouldn't have been able to do that. And there was grace on my wife in that season. There was grace upon my children because I was gone a lot. But when I came back, my kids, there was like my kids loved mom and dad, you know. And, and then the Lord had me leave my job. And there was grace on my children to do that and my wife. I asked my kids all the time because it was a financial whack. You know, I was making $150,000 a year. You go to living in ministry. You know, we were living on half of that, which wasn't really enough to cover the expenses, the health care and all that stuff. Um, that we had, and, and uh, we were living less than half of that when we started, and probably, probably more like uh, a third or something like that. I had money in the bank for a new kitchen, and I gave it away. I had like $20,000 in the bank. I was about to build my money. We still need a new kitchen. We still haven't gotten it. And I, and I, I probably, it's probably forty five, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 now, but I had the money in the bank, and we decided not the kitchen, but the kingdom. And so, was the kind of stuff that we did. It was kind of the stuff we went through, you know. And what's amazing is I've asked my kids, do you regret that I did? Do you have They're like, no, not at all. Because there's grace and obedience. Remember that. There's grace in being obedient. Okay, there's no grace in the flesh. There's grace in obedience. There's mercy in the flesh, but there's no grace in, in the flesh. In other words, if you're going to follow the flesh, flesh, there's no grace to do that. Okay, there's mercy because you sin, but 
There's no grace for that. Grace is accessed through faith. Say that grace, Romans 5, 2, grace is accessed by faith. We enter the grace by which we stand. So um, we have to access it by obedience and faith and stuff like that. But I want to warn you, because I feel like the church needs to um, stop its childhood behavior, its gang, its gang behavior, where because you think you have enough people against that minister. Look, I always tell people, speak the truth. So if someone is in false doctrine, go ahead and actually have some scripture, by the way. Don't post something. When you name call, once you name call someone, you have shown me you have lost the argument. If you call someone a Jezebel or, you know, Antichrist or something, you have lost the argument. Like if you cannot scripturally lay out why that, number one, you shouldn't do that in the first place. But if you disagree with a doctor, if someone says miracles aren't for today, I'm, I'm more happy to have the biblical discussion. Show me in scripture where it says that miracles are no more. Show me in the scripture where it says women can't be in authority. Now, you might think you could show that, okay, in one place. But I always tell people, Deborah was in authority. By God. So you better understand what it's saying about that. And Chris Fallon does the most amazing thing. But you can read it in his book, uh, Fashion to Rain, I think it is. I got, I got all those up there. So Fashion to Rain. I think it's the one that deals with that. He also has some there's some great stuff. I think it's all the way back to 2014 that he taught this at Bethel. So you can go back and look at that. Go back and look at some old podcast or whatever. Um, but he did a great teaching on this because he had a study on it. And um, so um, do that because you might want to understand what's actually happening there and what Paul is actually answering to because it's, you better keep, you got to also learn to keep the Bible contextual. Like, the Corinthians isn't written to me and you. I know you think it is, but that's a little arrogant. It's written to the Corinthians. And Paul is answering their questions that they've written to him. And he's answering them. So it's contextual. It has cultural implications because Greeks have a different culture than the Jews. He's trying to teach them the kingdom. Um, And he's specifically answering questions that were asked. Now, it doesn't mean it's not applicable to me. But I got to stop acting like it was written to me and realize because then I take it out of context when I do that when I don't go what's going on in the Greek culture that would make Paul write this stuff by the way that's why Jesus came in Jesus was speaking to a culture you know what Jesus did not have to deal with in that culture and he doesn't address it homosexuality he doesn't address it directly he doesn't go homosexuality is sin you know why he's speaking to Jews you know what Jews understood homosexuality was sin He wasn't dealing with it, but he did deal with divorce. He did deal with people putting away their wives because they want younger wives. He did deal with fornication. He did deal with adultery. He did deal with thievery and murder and criticizing your brother. He dealt with all those things, but he doesn't deal with homosexuality. Some people think that means, well, see, Jesus didn't say that about it. You're correct because there wasn't any Jewish problem with homosexuality in his day. But Paul deals with it. Because Paul deals with the Greeks. And there was a problem with homosexuality in the Greek culture. Do you understand? So this is where people don't understand how to rightly divide the Bible, how to keep it within, I always say, keep it within its context, keep it within its culture, keep it within its, is it Old or New Testament, and then keep it within the Bible. And you have to go in those steps because who is, Paul, who is Jesus answering? Who is Paul answering? Who is Peter answering? 
because it's going to have culture. It's speaking into their culture at the time. And you can actually get a glimpse in what is the cultural problems of the time. And homosexuality just wasn't the problem that Jesus was dealing with. Okay? So we need to know that. Don't criticize. If you're going to criticize your brother, you've got to understand you're going to receive some critical stuff back. Whatever you sow, you reap. But, and maybe we'll talk next week about how to free yourself up and keep yourself clean even when you know dirt. You know what I mean? Even when you know the dirt and still love people. And you know what? When I was dealing with Todd, every time a friend of mine came up on the radar that they had been doing something, I called my friend. And you won't know who they are. And I called them. And I said, you know, this is what I found out. How are you doing? Have you taken care of this? I did. And the reason was because I, I loved them. And I didn't want, I didn't go, well, I'm going to expose you. Take the heat. No. I want to know how you're doing. I did the Matthew 18 with them. Even when some of them weren't doing the Matthew 18 with Todd. Because that's just what we want to do. And I learned that from the Lord, but I also learned that from my father, Randy. Expose your own, cover your brothers. Amen? Amen. I hope this blesses you. Let me hear your comments. Like the video, share the video, subscribe to the channel, all those things. And I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.